Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Several months ago, shocks went through the academic and political world when a CBC investigation uncovered really uncomfortable and shocking information about the background of Mary Ellen Turpal LaFond, information that showed her background was not how she had described or how she had told stories about for years. Allegations that she was not, in fact, Indigenous at all. Now, UBC, where she was employed as a professor in Indigenous law until last month, has been widely criticized for its lack of openness in dealing with the situation. And yesterday, months after this story came to light, apologized to faculty and staff for not doing enough. Thing is, other universities have gone through similar situations and allegations They've dealt with them in a much different manner, many of them in a more open and investigative manner. So why didn't UBC? Well, our next guest has worked in this area before and joins us now to talk about it. It's Jean Taye, who's a Métis lawyer and expert in Indigenous rights law. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's nice to be here, Sydney. When you see what's going on here with the UBC situation, does part of you think, boy, it didn't have to be this way? Absolutely. Um, it's sort of shocking that an institution dedicated to learning um, didn't learn from a clear path that two other universities at least had already walked down and they just did the same thing again. So it was shocking. You also, I know you helped guide the University of Saskatchewan in a similar investigation. Is that right? Well, uh, yes, I did do an investigation for them, but I didn't help them guide their communications at the beginning. Um, I was engaged afterwards to do an investigation into Dr. Carrie Barassa, um, but she resigned towards the end of that investigation. And so then the university asked me to sort of lift up the report and not make it about her and just talk about generically, what is this issue? Who are these people? Where do they come from? Why are they doing this? And what are we supposed to do about it? So that's what the report ended up being. What did you find then? How does this happen? (laughs) You know, uh, besides needing a psychiatrist to try and figure out why these people do this, the easy answer is, is greed and opportunity. They see an opportunity that is available to them if they make a little tweak to their identity. And so that's what they do. And um, they get money, they get grants, they get, like we see with some of them, huge prestige for working in this field. Some of them are very good at what they do. I think there's no question that Mary Ellen is very, it was a very, very good articulate uh, advocate for Indigenous people. The question is, does she have to do it in red face? And that's the the whole point. So um, the the fact is, the, these opportunities, I should, I should just clarify, are not coming around by the millions. There's not like thousands and thousands and thousands of these opportunities. They're very few and far in between for Indigenous people. The fact is, universities and other institutions, I might add that this whole Um, reckoning with this uh, fight about Indigenous identity fraud is a 
waiting to blow up for the federal and provincial governments as well because they're in the same boat. What do you but, mean? Well, they are also they've also been operating for the last 15 or so years on self-identification. That's the root of all this is that all you had to do is tick off a box or say that you were indigenous somewhere along the line and nobody ever checks. Now we find out with Mary Ellen that University. This was a shocker to me with the Mary Ellen Trapelafon situation. Was I thought that the only thing the university didn't check was the indigenous identity? I didn't. It didn't occur to me that they didn't also check your academic credentials or your claims of publications. I, never, I was sure they checked that. So it turned out to be wrong. That they don't. It's just reputation. If you can build yourself a reputation, nobody scratches beneath the surface. And the 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 fact that this all blew up um, as a result of Indigenous identity fraud. I mean, it's pretty clear to me there's probably people with academic credential fraud all across the country too. Okay, yeah, so that begs the question then, what should institutions and organizations be doing? Like, how do you kind of protect your organization from this? You check, don't rely on reputation, and don't, um, don't, don't just accept what people say. You know, the universities learned the hard way, I'm sure, over a thousand years or so, that they had to invigilate exams because students cheat and they have to uh, peer review academic um, papers because professors will mince their research. So those things are set up as checks and balances to verify honesty. And clearly we need to check honesty with respect to credentials and we have to check honesty with respect to what people are saying about Indigenous identity. Indigenous identity is complicated to verify, but it's not impossible. The only thing people have to do is make a decision that they're going to check. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is just even send out a message that you will check. That will stop people right away. If they know that everything's going to be scrutinized, then they probably won't make the claim in the first place. Right. So we can do it. It's do just um, effort. I know it's also challenging. I think, don't you think there's also some fear in doing this, of putting a foot wrong, of, of questioning someone's, uh, you know, identity, it's, it, people feel bad about doing that. Um, sure they do. Um, but the reality is that it's, it's um, something we have to do. I mean, it's the same in, in some ways, I don't, I don't want to put these totally on the same basis. But um, an analogy is that this is a problem we all have to deal with. Now, the problem is that it's Indigenous people who are going to have to beef up their identity systems and make this all right. And it's not technically our problem because this is white people who are lying and cheating in order to do this. But it means we have to do it and the institutions have to do uh, work to stop this. It, so in a way, if you say, if you look at domestic violence, it's not enough to say it's a male problem of beating up their wives because women are being hurt. So you can't just put it on one side. You have to look at both sides and you have to dig into it. And those situations are the same. Those people's reputations are on the line. People are wary about wandering into that because it's, it's uh, considered private. It's considered personal. And this is the same, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Advice. How can you give some advice then to institutions? How do you, how do you set up a system like this then? Well, I gave a lot of advice to the University of Saskatchewan about setting, first thing, set up a policy that says that you will verify people and make it very clear on applications and in your hiring processes. But the biggest thing is education. 
we the reason people can make get away with these fake claims and it is fraud intentional deceit for material benefit that's fraud it's a death by definition so the way to understand that is to set up systems and policies that will check for people make them people know in advance that they're going to be checked remove people if they are uh, found to have been um lying about who they are because the basis of the university has to rest on integrity and if people are lying in order to be professors it calls into question research it calls into question everything the university stands for so they have to be rooted out and the university has to stand on truth as we all do it's part of what we think is right in this world the moral arc that martin luther king talks about has to be based on truth and honesty Listen, thank you so much for your time on that this morning. You're very welcome. We appreciate that. Great conversation. That's Jean Taye, who's a Métis lawyer, an expert in Indigenous rights law, uh, helped out at the University of Saskatchewan with the Dr. Carrie Barassa case. She actually led that investigation into what happened there. Again, someone saying they had credentials that they did not have or a background that they did not have. Uh, surprised by what we see happening here with UBC, where they clammed up, they didn't say anything about the Mary Ellen Terpel-Lafon case. Now they are apologizing, saying we should have done more. Months, though, after the story initially broke with the investigation by the CBC on that.